Oh man, he doesn't even have a college degree. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. That is this idea of having a college degree. Well, let me, let me tell you kind of a bottom line that I want to address. That is to be realistic about why you're going to school. Now, if you're going to school, cool. If you already went, awesome. But be realistic about what that does for you. If you are going to get a degree so you can get a better job, you're likely to be disappointed. Now, if you're going for the personal development, you know, be that the social connections, the broadening of your options, you'll always see yourself as more prepared and having more options. So there's value, but you got to frame it right. Not this garbage that's going on today. Now, here's some of the things I'm going to be addressing today, and, and eh, I'm integrating some questions, but for the most part, I'm pulling some news things together that I think are important for all of us, no matter where you are in this process. If you're 18 years old thinking about going to college, or if you're 68 years old, you know, reflecting back or looking at a new opportunity. So what is this current college admissions scandal? Does where I went to college affect my success now? Hey, here's, how about this? Are homeschooled kids less likely to get into the best colleges? Do I need a college degree for the work I love? And then are there any current examples of people being successful without a college degree? Now, those are going to be some of the things that I'm going to just address. We'll just see how long it takes us to blast through some useful information here and we'll call it a wrap. Our quotation for the day comes from Mark Twain, who said, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. Now, in multiple books that I've written, primarily Wisdom Meets Passion, I talk about, well, I talk about some of the examples my own kids produce in there. My own son, Kevin, who went directly from being in high school to racing professionally, bicycle motocross racing. And then went on to road racing, lived over in Europe for a couple of years, raced in the Dutch national team. And when people would say, gee, aren't you concerned about Kevin not being in college? I'd always say, well, you know, he may decide to go to college at some point. Right now he's too busy getting an education because I really believe that education involves a whole lot more than sitting in a seat in a college classroom. Now, Kevin has gone on to uh, do pretty well, never did go back to college. But as you know, today, he's the host of the Zig Ziglar podcast. He's director of marketing for a medical uh, company in Colorado and uh, has never really regretted not going to school. Well, be that as it may, a, a couple things here I want us to want us to cover. And I'll tell you what one is, as we talk about what your options are, no matter what it is that you're doing, if you're working for yourself or if you are employed somewhere, you know, you got to keep your books straight. Let me just tell you real quickly about our business partner today, that being FreshBooks. Man, I sent out an invoice this week, sent an invoice to a, a foreign con company 
This is always interesting. This happened last year once. This company pays me a lot of money, and they sent me a large check, and I took it to the bank, and the bank would not put it into my account because it was drawn on a foreign bank. Now, this is a bank out of Toronto, Canada, which blew my mind that that's considered a foreign bank, but it had to go through a process whereby it would take, they said it would take six to eight weeks you got to be kidding me. In this age of technology, it'll take six to eight weeks. Well, that was the bank's protocol for handling a foreign bank. Well, I sent the company. I called them. I sent them an electronic invoice. They did a direct deposit. It took about 20 minutes to do a direct deposit right into my bank account. Now, that's the kind of thing, you know, I should have known better than to send a physical invoice. I should have sent them a FreshBooks invoice to start with. Well, this, that's the, one of the advantage, one of the many. You can create custom invoices that have your logo, reflect your brand. Um, again, you, you can have clients all over the world. FreshBooks lets you send invoices in the currency your clients use. Even if it's different, if you get somebody in England or Germany or Norway or Sweden, you can send it where it will convert in the currency required based on the currency in that country. And then, of course, if the client does forget to pay you on time, FreshBooks takes care of that awkward reminder. And I'll let you know when they did see the invoice, just makes everything smooth. As in addition to just keeping your books in order. So as we approach tax day here, you don't have to wonder where am I? You don't know instantly exactly where you stand. Well, just go to freshbooks.com. You know, they've got a 30 day free trial for you as 48 days listeners. Go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now for our good news today, I want to just bring you up to date on something I addressed last week. You know, we've got a contest going on right now where if you're out of work, send a brief note to out of work at 48days.com explaining how you lost your job, what you learned in the process, what you're moving to. You know, we ought to create a book out of the responses that are coming in because they're really insightful. Again, if that is you, if you want to, Submit one. We still got another week to go. You can send your note to out of work, O U T T A W O R K, at 48days.com. Now, last week's winner was Dave Connell. I, I read you his response last week. You know, he said that after working for a company for 37 and a half years, the company got into some trouble. They let 150 people go back. They let them know back in November and December, let people go, here we are in March. So three weeks or three months, rather, Dave has been out of a job. Now, he said, you know, when, when he talked about what he was moving to, he said he was going to build his own business based on being a business growth analyst, where I seek to connect people with their potential, finding opportunity where others find dead ends, asking questions that inspire, cultivate, and create solutions. Well, as a result of him being a winner, and I needed his physical address. I just picked up the phone, called him, talked to Dave, just a delightful guy. Again, at the same company for almost 38 years, lost his job. And you can imagine, you know, this is a new territory. So he wanted to build his business doing this kind of consulting, coaching work. And his goal was to, in the first year, being 2019, that he would generate half of his previous income. Now he knew that was kind of a stretch goal being brand new player and all that. And then his really big stretch goal would be in the second year to duplicate the salary 
that he had been getting. Well, guess what's happened? This is March, and it's already clear that based on contracts that he's already secured, he's going to blow past his previous salary entirely in this first year. Based on the agreements that he already has, he's got companies coming to him saying, we know what kind of work you did at your previous company. We want you to do that for us. Now, here's the advantage of this kind of transition, be it unexpected and unwelcome. Companies are saying, well, you know, we don't need you 52 weeks of the year, 40 hours a week, but we'd like to have you five or six days a month. And so he's getting contracts for, and he actually told me on a particular one, like $15,000, you know, for five or six days a month. Well, you don't need a whole lot of those lined up till it looks pretty decent and what you're doing. And that's exactly what he's doing. I love, love how he has so gently made this transition, walked right into the next season of his life. Well, remind me of a Jim Rowan quotation who says, you must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstance, the seasons or the wind, but you can change yourself. That is something you have charge of. So no matter what the circumstances are, you can change yourself. Well, what's going on with this college admissions scandal that we're hearing about right now? First reported by the Wall Street Journal, it turns out some dude has had $25 million paid to him to impact the decision of colleges to admit the children of celebrities, athletes, and so on. So he's done this by bribing coaches and university administrators. And they're taking students in. One of the big ways for a student to get accepted is because they're an outstanding athlete. Well, there are students, you know, there's a well-known actress who paid half a million dollars to have her daughters presented as rowing experts to be on a crew team when they had never rowed at all. But it was just, the way it fit together, somebody who would accept a bribe. They highly recommended the girls because of their athletic ability in this sport, and they got into a prestigious school. Now, this kind of begs the question, why is this important? Why is it that somebody would do this when we can look very easily at the back-end results? It doesn't matter that much. But there are people who have paid a whole lot of money to get their kids into elite colleges. And it's shown now that uh, those included Yale, Stanford, Georgetown, University of Southern California, UCLA, University of San Diego, University of Texas, Wake Forest, Yale, and so on. And there's a list. They already pro- pro- they already put up the list of people. They've arrested over 50 people. These are well-known people, doctors, attorneys, against celebrities, athletes, and so on, who paid to have their kids, either to have somebody stand in, this is a mind blower, where they have a guy who will go in and take the SAT test because he knows how to ace it. He'll go in and they bribe the person giving the test to have somebody else stand in. I mean, who would have thought that that would be that common or that easy to do that? But it appears that no matter what the situation in life, there's a whole lot of people willing to take bribes to influence decisions that are being made. Well, I'm going to go forward here a little bit because what we're looking at is how does that really affect a person's success 10 years after graduation anyway? Does it? Let me back up a little bit. 
because some people are questioning, well, what about the right high school? I mean, what if your kid didn't go to the right high school? Can they get into the right college? Well, it's true that where your child attended high school is going to have an impact on their chances of being submitted to some of the Ivy League schools or, you know, top colleges like Stanford, University of Chicago. They look at high schools as being feeder schools for them. So, yeah, it can have some impact if you have a child go to a feeder school. Well, then we kind of can back down. I mean, my gosh, what about getting into a high school depending on the middle school or grade school that they went to? You know, there are some cultures now more so even than in the United States where decisions are made about where a kid's going to go to college when the child is born and they start the process of paving the way for where a child's going to go to school when that child is born. Now, I'm not sure that's to anybody's advantage. I mean, I've uh, done pretty well as a, as a career coach in primarily helping people who at 45 years old wake up and realize they're living somebody else's dream, typically mom and dad. Gee, mom and dad wanted me to be a physician, an attorney, a pastor, an engineer, an accountant, whoever. And then we take a fresh look at what are your dreams and often do a major realignment at that point in life. Well, let me just address a couple other things here. What about homeschooled kids? Are they less likely to get into the best college? That's a big concern. I mean, it's a common opinion that homeschooled kids are less prepared for college than non-homeschoolers. In the National Education Association, uh, they talk about concerns about socialization and the completeness and quality of a homeschool curriculum. I mean, uh, you know, I'm pretty familiar with this territory in that we homeschooled our children and I have a bunch of grandkids that are being homeschooled as well. But that's always a question. Gee, are they going to be, you know, introverted and shy and awkward because they're not socialized? Are you kidding me? Well, they talk about the strengths and weaknesses from the perspective of college professors. Some weaknesses identified include demotivation when feedback from professors takes longer than expected. Well, here's the truth about homeschoolers. And this is from a a report in Time Magazine. They often outperform non-homeschoolers. The responses from professors who have homeschooled kids in their classes, college classes, indicate how homeschoolers value learning. They're prepared for writing assignments and are more engaged. Professors also note homeschooled graduates aren't afraid to ask for assistance when needed and have tenacity and persistence. Moreover, because of the homeschool curriculum's inclusion of travel, volunteer work, local service projects, and athletics, homeschoolers are arguably more socialized than traditionally schooled graduates. Well, we could go on and on. Hey, let me just insert a quick thing here just to remind you. Typically, I'm answering specific questions. What I'm doing today addresses a broad array of questions that we get. This issue of how important is college is really pervasive. Got some more information here I want to give you about what impact that really has. But if you got a question, 
or success story you want us to look at in an upcoming episode, I'd be delighted to do that. Just shoot that over to me at askdan at 48days.com. Just an email to askdan at 48days.com. Now, here we are, you know, this is March here. We're going to be right on top of when we've got a whole bunch of uh, college senior or high school seniors that are receiving those college decision letters. I mean, this is about the time when that's happening. Are you getting accepted? Or are you rejected? You know, there are movies plots that have been based around this, the thrill of getting that acceptance letter from a school, which really we have to kind of look at and from both sides. I mean, if I send you a letter, let's just say that you want to get coached by Dan Miller and I send you a letter and you open that letter and said, yes, I got accepted. He's going to take me as a client. Now that does happen. But the bottom line is then you're going to pay me money for that experience. I mean, that it's not like you won the lottery or something. It's saying, okay, now you can pay me money. I mean, that's what a college acceptance letter says. Okay, now you can pay us all that money and we'll have your little Tommy or Sue, you know, spend some time with us here. They can do whatever they want to, but we're going to take a whole lot of money for you to send them our way. Uh, it, it, it's not like a big privilege to get accepted. Well, you know, I'm sure that some of you feel like to get accepted in a particular school is, but again, you know, does it, does it really matter? You know, does where you go to college significantly affect your employment opportunities? Well, again, this is a national study and it says whether you go to college does still retain some importance in your employment options. But where you go to college is almost of no importance at all. I mean, whether your degree is from UCLA or from a community college in your local neighborhood matters far less than your academic performance and the skills you can show employers. Now, research on the impact of college selection, you know, is focused on comparing the earnings of graduates to different colleges. And what happens is there's not much difference, no matter where you went to school. It just doesn't make much difference. Well, I could go on and on and on. I mean, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, I mean, having going to an elite school, you would hear about Cambridge or Stanford or Harvard, you know, those kind of schools. It really was a big deal. My goodness, today, I mean, there's 200 colleges across the U.S. that offer the same level of education and, and same quality of faculty, facilities, and all of that. So it's a really minor role. Now, a couple of years ago, it's been some time, I, I think it was back in six, 16, maybe even 17, when I did a review of the growing number of companies that don't even require a college degree anymore. I mean, there's a long list of companies that don't require a college degree. Companies like Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, an accounting firm. Yeah, they say that there's just no tie to how well somebody does based on whether or not they went to college. Not where they went, but whether or not they went at all. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got some other examples here I want to share with you just in a second about that. But... When, when it comes to where a person goes to college, it has very, very little relevance 
to that person's success or earning capability down the road. Now, we also know, you know, that career decisions that are made at 18 seldom define the most fulfilling options 20 years later. I mean, I talk often about the fact that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. So again, going to college is fine. It's a kind of maturing, developing experience, but rarely does it lock you into one career from which there's no escape. Now, if you're going to go on to law school or medical school or dental school, certainly there may be some connection there. But in general, it just, people change. People change. Even if they have advanced degrees, they change as they get more life experience. No better questions to ask. So, I've, I've shared, I want to give you a couple examples here. I shared some time ago about a listener, 48 Days Podcast listener named Joshua, young guy who went from being a blacksmith. He was homeschooled and he was a blacksmith. Now that's not a real popular career these days. And he decided that it was a little more physical than he wanted. He wanted to move into something else. So he spent seven months in his spare time teaching himself to do software development just using all free online courses and tutorials, never paid for a class, using free tutorials, training himself in software development. And then his enthusiasm, initiative, the things he learned as a homeschool kid allowed him to bypass candidates with professional degrees and years of experience surpassed his own. Just, we have tons of stories like that. And then we also get the stories like uh, recent Note from Amy that I had, who has over $200,000 in student loan debt. Now, she's a pharmacist, but she doesn't want to do that anymore. And she's already, you know, making $7,500 a month in her little sideline Amazon business. And we're encouraging her to go ahead and make the full transition to build that, build that up to get rid of that student loan debt that she's got so that she can do then work that she really does love. Now, in addition to Ernst & Young, um, Penguin Random House no longer requires. Here's, here's a book publisher. You would think they'd be really particular about the college degrees they record. Now, nah, they're saying it just doesn't connect. Costco, Whole Foods, Publix, Apple, Starbucks, Nordstrom, Home Depot, those are all companies that no longer require a college degree of any time. Now, when I say these things, don't think that I'm just, you know, trashing the whole model. I mean, I loved my time in universities. And I went to Ohio State. Oh, I need to be careful. Those people are pretty particular about this. It's the Ohio State. And I got a very traditional bachelor's in psychology. And then I went to Western Kentucky University where I got my master's in clinical psychology. And then I completed my doctoral studies in religion and society. You know, but I never pursued a degree because of a career path. It was always for personal growth and development. When I, I mean, I was an entrepreneur when I was a teenager. So going to college really was a, <laughs> frankly, it was a, it was a politically correct way for me to get out of the farm. It was just kind of a way for me to escape the farm without having a real clear career path, that was an excuse for me to move on. 
So it didn't have anything to do with the career path. Now I studied psychology because I think I was trying to figure out my own stuff, <laughs> which more so than trying to define a career path. I was never really, even while I was in college, of course, I was doing things to generate income. When I was then out of college for four years and went back for my master's degree, again, that was not so I could be sitting in a cubicle somewhere as a counselor or a therapist. That was just another way for me to continue my own personal growth. By then, I was doing side businesses. I'd been involved in business for myself, so I knew that I would continue in that. Incidentally, I never had student loan debt. Man, I was raised to pay for things I could afford. You know, thus Joanne and I both worked during those university years. I uh, I painted houses, I flipped cars, mowed lawns, anything in order to pay for school, and paid for it as we went. I mean, we lived on nothing. Didn't live like I see a lot of college kids living today. You know, fancy houses and cars and trips and vacations and all that. Are you kidding me? Golly, we lived on nothing, peanuts, but uh, didn't have school loan debt. Then I went back for my you know, my master's four years later. By then we had a house and I had a Jaguar XKE. We sold both of them, sold the house, sold the Jag. That gave us the money for the two and a half years I was back in my master's degree. And then years later, when I started my doctoral studies, by then I was already writing, speaking and coaching. So again, it had nothing to do with changing careers or getting a job. And I was generating income. So I was able to pay for that as I went. But I didn't complete any degree program burdened by debt that was then going to limit my future choices. So obviously I went to school some time ago. So the question then is, would I go back to school today to get all those degrees? Probably not. I mean, when I started college, if you wanted to know, you know, the capital of Afghanistan, you needed a reference book, an encyclopedia or something to help you get that information. Where was that? That was in either a major library or at a university. So the university had a captive control of a lot of information. Obviously, that's not true today. I mean, any eight-year-old can jump on an iPhone and get information, any information available anywhere. So it's different. Knowing what I know today, I don't know. Now, I valued the time in school, and uh, certainly it was part of me developing into who I am. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, Joanna and I got married. You know, I was a sophomore in college. Um, she was a little behind me, you know, and, and with the uh, need to provide for ourselves and be on our own, yeah, we probably would have just devoted full time to, to working and advancing the businesses we were in at that point. But I don't regret having taken the route at all. I mean, not at all. I mean, I wasn't looking for a lot of social things. Again, being married when I was in college, we weren't going to frat parties and hanging out on weekends and all that. And we, we loved the uh, living as we did with other young married couples. So it was a great social experience. And I certainly don't regret that at all. But let me come back to my kind of major points here. Be realistic about why you're going to school. If you're going to get a degree so you can get a better job and a higher income, you're likely to be disappointed. There's just not that direct connection anymore. And if you're 
you're going and and the thing is, you know, we see people with no degree who are making two hundred thousand a year, and then we see somebody with a degree begging for a forty thousand dollar year job, and they've got eighty thousand dollars in student loan debt. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't calculate at all. So, if you're going for the personal development and the social connections, the broadening of your own options, yeah, those are things are always going to be true. I mean, nobody can take that away from you. You can have a downturn in an industry, but the personal development that you've gotten for yourself can never be taken away. Well, we know there are many stories about people who are college dropouts who have seemed to do okay. I mean, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, all left college before they finished to get their diplomas. I mean, Peter Thiel, the founder of PayPal, even encourages talented students to drop out of college. He funds a scholarship that awards recipients of his scholarship $100,000 if they quit college. That's pretty radical, but he's got a track record of helping people go on to some pretty astounding success. Michael Dell dropped out of the University of Texas in his freshman year at the age of 19. He was putting computers together in his dormitory room and went on to found Dell Technologies and is now worth about $20 billion. Evan Williams grew up in Clarks, Nebraska, where his family ran a farm. He attended the University of Nebraska at Lincoln for three semesters before dropping out. Uh, he then went to work as a freelance software programmer for Hewlett Packard before landing to get at Google. Then he quit his job at Google to build Twitter and now is a billionaire. Larry Ellison as Oracle. Another story, he, uh, he, when he was growing up, his adopted parents wanted him to be a doctor. But he struggled with the medical courses and ultimately dropped out frustrated. At today, he's worth over $55 billion because he found that path to something that he really enjoyed. John Mackey, you may recognize that name. He studied religion and philosophy at the University of Texas before dropping out, borrowing but then he borrowed $45,000, but not for school tuition, to start a health food store called Safer Way in downtown Austin. He grew that little business into what is now the organic grocery Whole Foods. So he borrowed the money, but not for tuition to start a business and had now has Whole Foods. A couple quick examples here about people that I know. I mean, this is not just in the news or these people who are, you know, Bill, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, like that people we read about, but don't know personally. Let me tell you about a couple personal situations here. I just met with my landscape guy, Noe, and, and he, they've been here on our property in the last couple of weeks, we've done massive landscaping. They've got all the flower beds cleaned out, treated, covered with mulch, all the trimming done, and it's looking gorgeous around here. All the irrigation systems are checked out, ready to go. So they, we're really getting ready to have this place pop. Well, he gave me an update on the little side business he started back in his hometown in Mexico. Six years ago, he told me he wanted to come up with something for his dad to do. So dad would not just be sitting there waiting on his sons in the United States to send him money every week. I mean, that's ridiculous. There are things to do there. So no, he bought three or four freezers, just the little small freezers. They cost like $146 from Home Depot, drove down to Mexico, placed them in markets there. Then they'd fill those freezers. He had an, uh, a cousin 
and uh, some nieces and nephews and do make popsicles, just popsicles. And then they'd put them in these freezers and offer to put them in these little mom and pop stores. The markets paid nothing up front, but they simply pass on 60% of all money generated. So it's, it's really a win-win for everybody. It doesn't cost the little store anything other than just the electricity to run the freezer, but they have the inventory there and whatever they sell. So they pay nothing for it in advance. But when they come back to check it, whatever's gone, 60% of that revenue comes back to my friend, Noah and his family model proved to work very well. Yeah. There were a lot of people told him it wouldn't work. Yes. Well-meaning friends said he was crazy to do this. He'd have trouble people finding people to work. The merchant would cheat him, but he just went ahead anyway, treating people with the same kind of respect that he does here and expecting the same in return. No, he doesn't have a business degree. He completed the sixth grade before starting to move into creating income for his family's own business. Well, today he has 820 freezers in place and is going to increase that to over a thousand here in the spring. I purchased a machine last year that can produce 10,000 popsicles every eight hours. Now, currently they're selling about 10 or about 9,000 of those daily at the equivalent, again, American money of 70 cents each. He brought his cousin in to run the business there while he continues to operate his very successful landscaping business here. Now, he's never borrowed a penny to do business there or here. He attends seminars to learn how to do business better. Very active in our community here. He's negotiated for a special recipe of the love fruit popsicle with exclusive rights in a 400 mile square area there in Mexico. Now, obviously, this isn't a high tech business. I mean, he's not high tech. My gosh, you know, when I want to get a hold of him, I call him. Rarely would he ever answer the phone. And then he doesn't even have a personalized voicemail, uh, doesn't use text. <laughs> so it's not high tech, but he just provides a good product at a fair price and keeps hustling to grow his business. Now, you can do some of the math on what I've told you there, but believe me, he does very, very well. They have 21 acres on a property right down the street from me here in Williamson County, Tennessee. And I know very clearly what that property is worth. And that's not something you get when you're working a minimum wage job. It's something you need to be pretty well set in order to, and I know, I know the details there, but won't tell you that, but uh, he's in very, very good shape. Now let me tell you about another neighbor who lives in between, who lived in between. Now he's moved on since then, but in between, lived in between, a landscaper and me right here in Franklin, Tennessee. I had a lunch with this young guy this last Wednesday. I'm going to tell you this story and we're going to wrap up with that. I had a lunch with him. 11 years ago, I profiled this kid in the book I wrote, No More Mondays, because he dropped out of school after the eighth grade. So he's got an eighth grade education, didn't go on beyond that, single mom. He resented the poor lot in life that he had. He worked doing hanging drywall, but then he discovered that he really liked working with his hands and he enjoyed doing car repair. So as told in No More Mondays, he spent $19 at Walmart for a floor jack, another $60 for tools that he put in a little plastic toolbox, and he started doing car repair right here in his property, just one door over from me, just in a little barn at the back of his property. Well, the first year he did like 65000 
And then the next year he did 130,000. He went on from there. And even back then when I wrote that book, he was already projected to do like 1.2 million. Well, fast forward. This is 10 years later now. He built that little auto repair business to over five, well, to, to five locations and was obviously doing extremely well. Specializes in import cars. Well, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, he had a very, very unfortunate incident in his business where an employee stole money in the millions of dollars, and he thought he was going to lose everything, forced him and his wife to sell the dream home they were in, and he really thought he was going to lose everything. But he thought, man, I'm going to hang on if I can, just go back to the basics, just doing the basics, doing great work on cars, treating people with compassion, respect, help and take care of what they're doing. Well, he had somebody else say, man, I'd like to, and this is a competitor in town who had an auto repair shop, said, I want you to teach me how you've done so well to build to five locations. Now, this was when my friend was really at a, at a low point. So he was not flying high. He was recovering from this absolute disaster, personal tragedy, you know, tragedy that had uh, taken him so low. But it was at that point where this other competitor said, why don't you teach me what you're doing to grow to multiple locations like this? Well, he resisted, but another request came in. Well, you know, my adage, my adage has been, and something that served me very well, if three people ask me the same question, I create a product to provide that service that they're asking for. Well, ultimately, my friend did that. So the first person he coached through 12 principles that he kind of laid out that have helped him do what he's done in the auto repair business, and he charged the guy $7,000. Well, then there were more. Today, I'll jump to today. Today, this young guy who just turned 40 has 240 auto repair shop owners around the country who are paying him $1,200 a month each to be part of his community where he encourages and teaches them what to do. He's got a major conference coming up. I'm going to be one of his presenters at that. He's got a particular topic that he really wants me to present on. But And here's a guy you know, right here in Williamson County, Tennessee, has an eighth grade education and the money he will make this year. And, and the thing is, it was in a challenging time that he, discovered this greatest opportunity, which isn't that the case many, many times. You know, the very challenge that you're in right now may be the seed of your greatest opportunity. I shared that with a couple other people this week who are in very challenging situations, just as an encouragement that that so often is true. It was when I was absolutely down and out after the fiasco that I describe in 48 Days to the Working Love, where I was deeply in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and started teaching that little Sunday school class just as a, a way to serve and provide ministry in my church, to be a faithful member of the church. But it was that Sunday school class that grew and grew and grew and just presented me with opportunities that I would have never anticipated in any other way. They grew into what I do now. Everything that I grew to do today grew out of that little Sunday school class. Well, my goodness, we could go on and on and on here with how to unpack this. There's so many applications here, but I wanted to take this one particular issue because it just raised its ugly head again when we got this scandal going on right now. And you can look, you can, if you want to read more about that, that's easy to find. You know, just you can check on that and see all the nasty stuff that's going on there. It's, it's a major blow 
to our academic system. I mean, our academic system is pretty broken. We know that. It doesn't serve people well. It doesn't have the connection to future success that we once thought it did. More and more companies are saying, we don't care what you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and going to college. We want to know what, what have you done in the last two years? Show us what you've done, what you can produce. That's the way companies are approaching this. We got to be realistic about what this means for ourselves, depending on where you are in life, or, or perhaps for children that you are looking after, making decisions for. Be realistic about what gives somebody a good foundation and good options. Personal skills, I mean, we know that technical skills only account for about 15% of somebody's success, no matter what it is that you're doing. I mean, you think about it, even, even when you go to your doctor, do you really respond to the years that that person spent in medical school because of their, their really great technical skills? No. You respond to, did they listen? Did they care about me? You know, were they compassionate? Those are the things that will allow us to make a decision if it's a good or bad doctor. Well, we could go on. Hey, I hope this has been encouraging. Uh, take it, apply it in whatever way is useful for you. If you've got questions, again, feel free to shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. We'd love to address them. And once in a while, I have a particular theme like this. Next week, we'll go back to a wide variety of questions. We've got a whole bunch sitting in the queue there, and we'll get back to those and go back to the way that we normally do this. So as you hear our ending music there, Golly, just a reminder again, I feel privileged to be in a position where I get to see these questions coming in. I consider it an honor to help you all unpack these things together as we all figure out ways to live more fully and more effectively. And you know, in this group, we are the ones who can either find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. <music>